Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 152. This is Dave. This is Jeb. Jeb, nice one. Um, Mr. Uh, Barry unfortunately came down with the flu while he was off stocking Francis Ford Coppola, but kindly stepping in this week. From the, the glorious geekradiodaily.com, Ding. we have oh, got... Oh, you have a bell. That's awesome. I do, Mr. Billy Flynn. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me and putting up with all of the technical difficulties that no one will ever know about. Yeah, exactly. That's the beautiful thing. It, it's all the behind-the-scenes nice. stuff. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this week, I know we've talked about comic book movies in the past, but this week, with X-Men First Class having come out, and it looks like not doing that well at the box office, I wanted to go back and revisit the all five films. And So we're going to say that it came out this week, but we're going to save the actual discussion for the main topic. But before we get to all that, let's talk about what we've talked watched over the past week or so. Uh, Mr. Ethan, you want to kick us off? Well, we have a guest. I think the guest should uh, go first. All right, Mr. Flynn. Anything that in particular? That means he's not prepared. That's what that means. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, let's see. I don't know if you guys have talked about Hangover 2, but I, I did see Hangover 2 last weekend, along with apparently all of America. I and, did not um, see it. Well, here's what you do. Uh, my wife, the wonderful Flinstress, says all you need to do is get some Bangkok-inspired artwork or fabrics drape them around your TV, put your Hangover DVD in and watch it, and you've seen the second movie. Okay. Because so, that's really what it wants to be. It wants you to relive that magic you felt with the first movie. And I do have to give them credit. Like, the beats all come at the same place. You know, this happens, this happens, sort of. But uh, it's just not... I don't know. It's it's. I, I congratulate it for going a little darker, but it's not something I ever need to see again because it's just not that funny. It's oh. got a couple of moments, but it's not that good. Dang. Okay. It's any any good musical choices? Well, you, they already spoiled it for the trailer. Chang singing "Time in a Bottle" is the best musical choice in the entire film. There is a cameo at the end of a song that's done by um someone that I don't want to spoil because it's probably your other surprise. The one thing they didn't give away in the trailer. Um, so there's a song at the end, but no, no, no. It doesn't even make sense. The character this time around, um, uh, Ed Helms is getting married, and his wife's his wife to be's brother ends up being the Doug for this movie, the guy that they can't find. And something happens to his character that is never ever resolved in any way, shape, or form. Something that changes his life forever is never addressed by anyone in the film. Even though it's sort of a key point when they first find out that it has happened. Fun. Which is a way to talk about it without talking about it. Also, the same day I saw, Bride, I saw Bridesmaids. And? It's... This one they oversold a little bit. You know, this is supposed to be the chick hangover. Look, guys, women could do raunchy movies too. It's got a couple of raunchy moments, but it's not really a raunchy movie. In fact, I don't think it was supposed to be called Bridesmaids. Because Kristen Wiig's, um, she has a, a, a love interest in the film, this cop, who's, I forget who plays him, but he's hysterically wonderful in it. And at one point they're talking after she had a meltdown, um, and he says, so you're the maid of dishonor? And I was like, oh my god, that was the original title. Because it's more about Kristen Wiig's character than it is the bridesmaids themselves, and I wanted more of the bridesmaids. When they're together, it's really good. Otherwise, it's almost a typical romantic comedy. Maybe they should have called it Wigging Out. Oh. oh, missed opportunity, Hollywood. Missed opportunity. Um, Turner Classic Movies is, I don't know if someone's on vacation, but they've been showing some fun stuff recently. 
they had Godzilla, the American Godzilla, the good American Godzilla. Not, but, not 1985? No, no, no. They, Raymond Burr in all of his glory, um, which is not the way to watch Gojira, but it was on, and I'm like, well, hell, how can you turn down watching the first Godzilla movie? And immediately afterwards, they showed Rodan, and then they showed um, Gijer the Three-Headed Monster, and I was like, oh, my God. I was having fun with that. I had a moment where I got to be pompous, just as pompous as Robert Osborne, because he was wrong. After Godzilla King of the Monsters, he comes back on to say, and subsequently in Godzilla films, he always played the hero, protecting Tokyo from more powerful, destructive monsters than himself. That's not true, Robert. Godzilla had two sequels before he turned into a hero. Two sequels, thank you very damn much. You, you told him. I did. Of course, it was a TV and not interactive, so it did no good. Better write him a letter. Yeah, I don't suppose he does emails, does he? Damn. Oh. Damn. And Dang. then just last night, um, wait, this, uh, would have been Saturday the 3rd of June, um, Turner Classic Movies going nonstop. They showed Grizzly. I haven't seen Grizzly in forever. Have you seen Grizzly? I have not. Grizzly was the first of the Jaws ripoffs that I'm aware of. It's about a bear. Think about it. Because, um, you know, and it's the most powerful beast on land or whatever, and it's like claws. See, it's got claws, but it's the same thing. There's a mountain. There's this giant mutant-sized killer bear, at least in some shots. In some shots, it's a regular bear. It's never the same bear whenever you see it. But... Um, You've got someone who's uh, playing the sleazy mayor who doesn't want to close the mountain because, you know, we need the tourist money. It's Jaws, but with a bear. And it's so it's – and there's supposed to be some kind of weird, maybe Native American spirit that's part of this bear spirit. And no, it's not that good. Immediately afterwards, they showed Night of the Lepus. I haven't seen that in a few years either, so I had a giant bear followed by a bunch of giant rabbits with DeForest Kelly. I was in heaven. Good times. You can't go wrong there. You you cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Um, did you see the trailer for Fright Night? Yes. I'm really looking forward to the remake. I love the original Fright Night. I love Fright Night 2 Electric Boogaloo. But this one, unlike all these reboots slash reimaginings, seems to be capturing the feel of the original movie, something most just don't do. And I'm kind of psyched for it. And I... It, I don't know. It's good to see Colin Farrell doing stuff like this in Horrible Bosses, the trailer for that, where he looks ridiculously awful. Like, good for you, Colin Farrell. Be a jackass, but in a good way. I like that. Um, that did you see on Jimmy Kimmel Live the trailer, quote-unquote, for the president's speech? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I haven't seen this, but I'm guessing it's a King speech parody. It is a king's. We'll see because the it do, it did so well. They're going to make the American version, and so they roll the trailer, and so basically for George W. Bush, all the times he would screw up in speeches, they get someone to help him with that. So technically, the film stars George W. Bush and Sir Michael Tyson. Mike Tyson teaches George Bush how to give eloquent speeches. Again, you can't go wrong. I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie really, really badly. Right Other on. than that, you know, just a bunch of TV, and if I can give myself possibly a shout-out, I auditioned for a movie. Huh? Thank you. Huh? <laughs> okay. That's right. One, one day you're going to be talking about me, baby. There it is. Me. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of movie, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Those I don't have to audition for. They know my goods. Um, it's... 
I guess it's a it's called Heartbreakers, and in it you've got uh, you know, you've got Jennifer Love Hewitt. No, unfortunately, oh, I I wish I would love to act with both of her. Um, this is people. It's the main character is like this drug dealer, but not a real drug dealer. He's a good drug dealer because he only deals weed, which, as we all know, isn't really a drug. Uh, but he's a sleazeball who cheats on his girlfriend and everything else. So it's one of these emotional, heart-wrenching, I'm, I'm a dog and, and I deal weed kind of stories. I, I auditioned for that. I actually auditioned for that role in particular. The, not the token black guy? No, I really wanted to be the token black guy. But uh, they actually had black people show up for it. So unless they were going to trust me to be Robert Downey Jr., I don't think I'm going to get the token black guy role. I was thinking more uh, Soul Man. Oh, even dude, no one can compare to the sea. No one. No one ever. But uh, that one I feel pretty good because the, uh, the director guy who was doing the casting stuff had me stick around. Other people came and went. But there was me and a couple of other people that were asked to stick around, and we actually auditioned a couple of times with different people and then came back once by myself to audition for a completely different character. And so theoretically, next week I might get a call back. So fingers crossed, if you don't mind. Basically, this is my way of saying everyone send me good karmic energy. Can do. Do it now. Other than that, you know, I've really been playing L.A. Noir, which I guess you could count as a movie. Since it's a detective story, it's Mulholland Falls, but you get to play it. So that's always good. Nice. Games are not art. Oh, just ask Roger Ebert. <laughs> I was about to say, no, you're not Roger Ebert. <laughs> I could ask Roger Ebert, but... Unless he was sending me an email, I wouldn't know his response. Dang. I love you, Roger Ebert, but that was cold. I'm sorry. Dang, dude. Damn. Sorry. Okay. Feeling well, catty. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, Ethan, what have you been watching, sir? Uh, I watched Anatomy of a Murder. You guys heard of this, seen this? I think I saw it a while back. Yeah, the Jimmy Stewart movie where he's a lawyer. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah, Jimmy okay. Stewart one. Yes, that's a good movie. Yeah, it's quite good. It's like it's uh, really long, but at the same time, it's like really funny, which I liked about it. And it has great cinematography. And as usual, Jimmy Stewart, you know, doing his Jimmy Stewart thing. Good yeah. flick. Um, next, I watched uh, uh, Alv- Alfonso Cor- Coron's first film, uh, Solo con tu Pereja. It's about it's uh, set in Mexico and it's about this like ladies man and he's like really kind of he you know he, he does a lot of chicks so he's kind of like uh, nervous about STDs so he gets tested and um, he he ends up like well he's at the hospital he kind of like uh, sweet talks this nurse into doing him and at the same time he's kind of like uh, doing this other chick like he like goes out of his apartment into like another apartment and is like sleeping with this other girl and the nurse finds out about it and she's so mad that when she gets the uh, report for his uh, STD test she marks positive for AIDS even though he was really negative and the rest Mm -hmm. of the movie is like kind of this him finding out and being like really like suicidal and depressed while the other side of this movie is like the his friends like hearing about this and they're trying to like find him in time before he kills himself and the it's weird because his story is like really depressing, but like him with the friends when it cuts away, it's like this weird like screwball comedy. So it's like tonally like really weird, but it's good. It's got okay. a lot of energy and it's and it's pretty funny in places. It's on Criterion too, so I check it out. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, next, I watched Brian De Palma's Body Double for the first time ever. 
For the first time? Wow. Did you see the twist? <laughs> Who could? <laughs> yeah, this, this 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 movie is amazing. Like it's like just De Palma giving like just a humongous middle finger to Hollywood. But at the same time him like making like a genuinely good thriller. And I love like I just love all the things he does. Like um the middle of the movie it stops and becomes a Frankie goes to Hollywood music video. And it's like maybe one of my new favorite scenes in any movie ever. Okay. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that's a fair assessment. And um, uh, the the ending of this movie, I'll say, is like there is like I I can't imagine watching this like with an audience in 1984, just like a general movie going audience, and how like how pissed off they would be. This movie, like the ending of this movie, is just such a middle finger just such a big flipping of the bird and I love that about it I think it's one of De Palma's best films I think that's uh, what makes it one of his best films you know, seriously because otherwise it's almost like it's a parody of what would be those soft core erotic thrillers and then you get to the end there and you're like oh I see what you did yeah it's pretty awesome uh, next I watched Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound nice uh, that's an interesting movie yeah, I, I have to mention something about this movie. Uh, a few months ago in our film aesthetics class, our teacher showed us a sped-up version of this movie. <laughs> okay. I, I don't understand. I still don't understand why he did it. It was, like, it was at the end of class, and he showed us this thing on the internet. It was like this movie in like three minutes. It's like people like you know talk like re- fast-forwarded really fast. We like talking like chipmunks. It's like I still do not understand why he showed us that, but... But seeing the actual movie now, it's it's a solid film. It's like the whole um, psychoanalysis aspect of it is kind of shallow and not really explored that well. But it it's still it's entertaining, and uh, the dolly sequence in it is pretty awesome. So still a good flick. Yeah, you you can tell in that movie definitely that um, the psychology wasn't nearly as well understood as it is today, just by how much of it almost turns into techno babble. Yeah. Um, next, I watched uh, Sidney Lumet's Running on Empty. Any of you guys seen this? I have not. I've heard the wonderful song by Jackson Brown. Well, I don't know me? how... Sorry. Uh, running well, anyway. empty, running high. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's about um, this, this family uh, played by... Well, the, the, pay, the uh, mother and father played by... Uh, Judd Hirsch and this other woman. I think she's like, oh, well, wait, known. this River Phoenix is in this. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, there's, I have and seen this. Yeah. And they, they like bombed this, like uh stat, this building or something. They've been on the run and, and the son's like this, like music prodigy. And yeah, it's, it's and an okay. The past m- is catching up with them. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It's an okay movie. Like, I know people criticize the the critics of Sidney Lumet. What they say about him is that he lacks style and he almost gives too much to the actors. And I could actually see it a bit in this movie, even though I usually don't agree with that. It's kind of just feels like it's scene after scene of just like actors just going like, crying and like going on these long monologues. And it's like, eh. But it's still uh, River Phoenix is great in it. And Judd Hirsch, I will say about him, it's weird how. I think I used to always just know, think of him as Jeff Goldblum's very Jewish dad from Independence Day. So he was just like he was like a joke to me. But then I saw this and Ordinary People. I'm like, you know, he's a he's a real actor, especially in Taxi. Taxi oh. and in the often forgot sitcom Dear John. 
Oh. Remember Dear John? Don't, don't make that sound. With, uh, that was a good tanning, show. With Tanning Shadum? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, oh, that Dear John. I see what you did. Sorry. I'm slow today, too. God, no, they should redo that. Judd Hirsch is. Yeah. Judd Hirsch, Tanning Chatham. Channing Tatum. I said it backwards. That would be a good combo. (laughs) Yep. If you say so. All right. Come Uh, on. Judd Hirsch was the best thing in Independence Day. Come on. He raises everything to the next level. Come on. He's just so Jewish in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) That, That is true. That's like his defining characteristic. Like he's, it's weird how Jeff Goldblum, like Jeff Goldblum, you can like, I mean, you can tell that they're father and son in that, but still, like, Judd Hirsch is like on another level of Jewishness. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, what else, sir? Uh, I watched Alan Renee's Wild Grass uh, from the filmmaker who did uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour and last year Marion Bad, and this was like, he's he made this when he's recently as an eighty-eight year old man, and it drew a lot of. Uh, attention is like wow you know this 88 year old guy is still making these really interesting movies and it's definitely the case here uh it's about it's a french film and it's about uh this woman this middle-aged dentist she uh gets her purse stolen while shopping and the wallet gets lost and this other middle-aged man finds it and he tries to contact her you know try to give her back her wallet but he's also kind of trying to start up a romance with her and she's like no i just want my wallet but eventually, like, it's weird. The movie's very weird. And eventually she sort of, like, starts getting into the idea of being with him. And it goes into all these really weird places. And just visually it's so interesting. And there's this all this weird, broad humor in it. And uh, the, the, the final line of the movie, it has one of the strangest final lines I've ever heard. Like, it feels like a bit of a joke, but I definitely recommend it. It's okay. quite good. Right on. Uh, next, I watched Steven Spielberg's Amistad. Okay. Dreadful, dreadful movie. It's probably the worst movie he's ever made, in my opinion. Really? I could I could probably go along with that, yeah. It's one of those where its heart wants to be in the right place, and it's trying to do, you know, say something and do something good, and that makes it all the more worse for, the, for, its, uh, for its viewing pleasure. Uh, it's just oh, like for the fifth, like John Williams, like music cue of like syrupy music. I was like, oh my god! I and think he was like, going to release the score under the name "White People Are Awful." <laughs> A subtle film. This is not. That's for sure. And the thing is, like, it's still. It's like I was talking about Glory, like a month ago. Again, it's another like really patronizing white liberal guilt movie. I just ugh. I mean, uh, Jaimon Hunso is really good. And I think I think the thing is the uh, opening of the movie when it's on the boat is actually quite striking. And mm-hmm. if it was an entire movie of that, it'd be good. But just when it gets to the whole court case thing, it's like, oh. And like the Anthony Hopkins thing at the end is just so like stereotypical. And I actually kind of fell asleep when he was making his big speech. But fair enough. And uh, finally, to end off at least on a good note, uh, this morning I watched Sweet Smell of Success for the first time. Oh my gosh, no, it's been forever since I've seen that. Uh, it came out on Criterion recently. It's uh, Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster, and it's it's in the 50s, and it's set in New York, and basically this, uh, very, there's this very powerful uh, gossip columnist played by Burt Lancaster, and uh, there's this other guy, this kind of up-and-comer played by Tony Curtis, and, like, Tony Curtis... Uh, the, the 
powerful guy. He hires Tony Curtis to kind of break up the marriage between his uh, sister and this jazz musician. And Tony Curtis is really like struggling and whatnot, and he needs this. And uh, it kind of goes from there. And this this movie is awesome. Like the dialogue in it is so powerful and witty. It's shot like even though it, it kind of the script could basically be like a, a stage play. It's filmed like a film noir. It looks beautiful. The acting's amazing. Yeah, it's it's an awesome, awesome movie. I definitely recommend it. It's going in the queue right now. And Tony Curtis has like so many good like zingers in it. Okay. So it is on See the it. list. Moist cupcakes, zingers, those. Sorry. Wow. You can cut we, that we out, Dave. We don't, cut have, that out. we don't have we don't have those in Canada. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if they even make them anymore. I have no idea. Wow. I should look that up before I make uh, references. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I honestly, outside of preparing for this week's episode, I've mostly just been getting caught up on uh, Burn Notice, which I finally were up through getting ready for the next season that's coming up later this month. And have either of you guys watched this show at all? It's one of those things where it's like, I'm sure it's entertaining, but I have so much other stuff to watch that can I really make the time for Burn Notice? Fair enough. Have have you seen the Saturday Night Live sketch where they do a game show called What is Burn Notice? Yes, I have. Yes, and have you heard of Ziz Ansari's bit about his 12-year-old cousin who's obsessed with the USA Network? No. Go ahead, riff it. Let me hear you. Let me hear your impression. Yo, Harris, he loves burn notice. (laughs) (laughs) Randy? Yeah, you should listen to it. Okay, I'll have to go seek it out. It is a fun show. It's an interesting show. It's... You know, it's not... Oh, man. Bruce Campbell is great in it. I think this is the first time he's actually had a straight role to do. Like, as opposed to, you know, being really winking, smiling at the camera the whole whole show. And you actually buy him as a badass, which is really nice. As opposed to that Ash kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of hero. He's uh, very good in it. Gabrielle Anwar is awesome. It's actually... It's it's a fun show, and it, it gets engrossing very quickly. Um, I have to say I'm not the biggest fan of how the fourth season ended. They, they set it up so you are about ready for several of the main characters to die. And it would have been actually a really good way to end the show. I think it was it would have been very cool. And then I found out, oh, look, they're doing a fifth season. So I know it's going to happen. Uh, I'm not going to say how they get out of it, but I'm I'm concerned. You know how, how you have shows and you can tell the moment where you're like, okay, they need to end this now. I think we've hit that yeah. point with Burn Notice. Aw. Oh, well. Bruce Campbell, he'll end on his feet. He will, absolutely. Well, they're going to do a fifth season, and I'm hoping kind of it's the last one. Kind of like I wish that, that the fifth one would have been the end for Supernatural, but oh well. Um, and I hate to say it, that's really all that I've watched outside of revisiting Wolverine for some reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh then. 105 minutes well spent. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, very quickly, let me, something that it's been a little longer since I watched it, but I would like to throw out some love for Mystery Team. For If you haven't seen Mystery Team... I think you should really give it a try. Yeah, I have good. I have it in the queue. I haven't. I, I've watched like the first like fifteen or twenty minutes of it, and I've liked what I've seen so far. Yeah, it's it's that it's that same thing all the way through. I I I I guess you had to have read like the three investigators and the Hardy Boys a lot in Encyclopedia Brown because God, that uh, I love it. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, it, it reminded me very much of the the three investigators in a big way. That's why I can't wait to finish it. I never saw Alfred Hitchcock once, though. Broke my heart. Oh, yeah, true, true. All right, let's move on and talk about what 
came out in theaters this past weekend. Um, we have X-Men First Class, which obviously we're going to talk about shortly, and then the, the much-loved by Mr. Jack Gregson's Submarine, which... I, I have to say, I saw the trailer for it, and it looks kind of... Not kind of, actually, it looks pretty uh, Fox Searchlight to me. I'm a little worried. Ooh. Fair enough, fair enough. Kind of like what, what independent comedies used that. to be. Bummer. Well, everyone I've talked to who's, who has seen it has liked it, so I'm I'm willing to give it a shot, even though I'm not the biggest AOD fan, of just mostly because of the, the it crowd. I'm just not a fan, but I'm still willing to give it a shot. So I don't know. We'll see. And then coming out on DVD this Tuesday, we have DVD and Blu-ray, I should say. We've got True Grit from last year, the remake, the glorious remake. We have got oh look at that, Burn Notice season four, uh, Breaking Bad season three. The, the great film Just Go With It that no, no one saw, rightfully so. We've got Green Lantern, Emerald Knights. Oh, there I, you go. Yeah, Woo-hoo. yeah, I can't wait for that. I'm oh, I'm buying it. Make sure, Nathan Fillion, make sure you give the love. Yes, Nathan Fillion. Henry Rollins' Kilowog. It's, it oh, looks yeah. to be really good. It looks to be really good. Uh, we've got Leverage Season 3, which was an outstanding season as well. We've got The Company Men, and then the Superman motion picture anthology is coming to Blu-ray. If you already have the DVD set... Unless you really want it in HD, you don't need to buy this. But uh, you know, you know which which one to get, which movie. We yeah. do need Superman three in HD. Yes, <laughs> have to <laughs> to see that little Atari twenty six hundred version of Robert Vaughn firing missiles at that little Superman thing. Yeah, oh that's got to be in see, HD. Uh, Richard Pryor wearing the the foam cowboy hat. There's just so much to love about that movie. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Such an almost fantastic movie, almost, almost. It's such an odd film, but it, it, especially in the well, you know what? It is. It, it is a magnum opus compared to Superman Four. I think it's a magnum opus compared to most movies. <laughs> All because of the prior, right? Well, well, that, well, evil Superman. True. Thanks to the tar and cigarettes. And I like uh, I cigarettes like, uh, kill everyone, even Superman. Credibility, yeah. I, I like Lana Lang in it too. I think she's better than Lois. Okay, I'll agree with you there. Absolutely. Now, did anyone else think that it was weird that she got cast as his mom in Smallville? Because <laughs> that just kind of, ooh, a little. All right, all right, sure. <laughs> Gets a little Freudian in there. I, I love her. She's great. Yes, it's uh, Annette O'Toole, right? At O'Toole, topless and Catwoman. For those of you oh, who are not cat Catwoman, people, cat, cat, people. Cat, cat people. Yeah, she's pretty Sorry. attractive in that. She's, yeah. she's peach. Yeah. Wow, the places we're going this episode. Outstanding. All right, <laughs> before we get further into the gutter, let's go ahead and talk about some news. Um, apparently, Jim Carrey really needs to eat because we might be getting Bruce Almighty and Dumb and Dumber sequels. I saw something about that, and I didn't want to read it because I didn't want to know anything else about it. But go ahead. No, that's me. really all there is to it. And and okay. I, the only reason I you can the, do those. Did, did you guys see the trailer for that that penguin movie before X Men? Yes, I did. Oh boy. What is that? Oh, the Mister Popper's penguins thing. Yeah, I, I honestly think I would rather see the zookeeper than that. At least the zookeeper has Nick Nolte as a gorilla obsessed with TGI Fridays. That's at least so weird that I that 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 musters some interest. That the uh, Popper's penguins. Ugh. I see, I didn't see this because I I saw it at a screening on tu- I saw X Men at a screening on Tuesday. It is are we talking like imaginary? I mean, um, uh, Mr. McGorium's Wonder of Auditorium bad or? Uh, Jim Carrey's father leaves him this box 
is this guy brings it to him and he opens it up and there's penguins inside and all he wants to do is get rid of the penguins but none of the pest people will take him and they keep telling him you got to call these people these people these people and then his estranged wife and kids show up and his kids love the penguins <laughs> and then the zoo shows up to take the penguins but no you can't have them because my kids love them and they dance to vanilla ice yeah oh oh so which one would you rather see this or happy feet too well, are they going to sing more Prince than Happy Feet 2? If so, then Prince wins every time. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. That, I oh, didn't... did did you get the Rise of the Apes trailer too in front of X-Men? Yeah. There you go. Is, yeah. is it an improved trailer? Uh, it looks okay. I don't know. Maybe I'll see it. I think the best of the Planet of the Apes sequels was Conquest, which is basically a, what they're doing here is a retooling of that. And... I think they're playing up the action in it too much because I don't think it's an action movie. Of course, at the end, you know, the apes revolt and then there's action. The trailer is cut a little more heavy, focusing on that aspect of it. But done right, I think this could be a, a thought compelling film with James Franco. <laughs> well, well when, when do you not get thought compelling when, with James Franco? Uh, Spider Man 3. Okay, you win. You win the I internet. Your apology. Yes, yes, you, you you got me there. Um, there was an interview with Spielberg who has said that the shark will indeed still look fake for the Jaws Blu-ray release, which is kind of nice, just because we're not getting Lucasized. I think it's odd they're doing a 36th anniversary edition. That's you don't normally get those. It's either five or a zero at the end. So didn't uh, the jerk? That. Didn't the jerk have like a 26th anniversary DVD? <laughs> yeah, yes, it did. So now Spielberg's ripping off Steve Martin. Nice. Worst people to rip off. True, but yeah, I was very proud to hear that. That not only you know that and the spear guns aren't going to be changed to uh, rotary telephones. I thought that was cool. <laughs> Is that Close Encounters the only other Spielberg movie on Blu-ray? Um, I think so. He hasn't done. He's had an aversion to Blu-ray for some strange reason. I don't know why. I mean, I do because I don't want a PlayStation Three, but I don't know why he's not embracing it as a chance to do all these again in a cleaner format. I know Jurassic Park's coming. It just got announced. Okay. Which I, I think. I, oh, Saving Private Ryan's on Blu-ray too. I forgot that. Okay. I don't know how dress how well Jurassic Park is going to age on Blu-ray. I'm, how so? I'm just wondering if the effects are going to look a little bit more dated. Well, effects always look dated. That's how that works. I yeah. mean, people have to get over that. They do. This I think it's more just the great comedy of Jeff Goldblum that I care about. <laughs> and Wayne Knight. Don't forget Wayne Knight. Hold oh, yeah. on to your butts. Samuel L. Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Yes. And when uh, the best part, though, the, speaking of Samuel Jackson... Part that always gets me when I watch it when you know Laura Dern and she has the arm. She thinks it's him. Like, oh, I'm so relieved. Ah! And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Then speaking of things that are gonna make me want to scream and cry, um, have you seen the trailer for The Vow? Oh, you bet I have. Yep. Oh, this this looks this this makes (laughs) it makes me want to watch. P.S. I love you. I don't know why. I, I thought, did it, didn't you think it was kind of funny in the trailer when they said like the Notebooks, Rachel McAdams, yeah, Dear Johns, Channing? Like, do they do people really need to be reminded who these people are? <laughs> they need to be reminded of the Notebook and Dear John. That's what it is. It'd be funny if they were like um, the Notebooks, Gina Rollins, 
Dear John, <laughs> Richard Jenkins, and it was like just this like old <laughs> love story. I'd watch that. As opposed to the vow, this looks bad. Especially when you find out about the twist. Did you read the whole thing about the twist about the ex-boyfriend or whatever? Really? Well, no, I didn't. Tell me. Tell no. me. Well, okay. Okay. So apparently, at some point, Scott Speedman enters the picture, and oh boy. and he ends up. Uh, being like some ex or something who's like, hey, Rachel McAdams has amnesia and doesn't remember the guy she married. I'm going to try to steal her. I don't oh. know. I'd, I'd do that if I had the chance. I think so why sad. don't they call it While You Were Sleeping too? Well, that works too. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm just like, wow, so so the chick's married and now you're going to try to ruin everyone's life. Well, that That's just a class move. And That's what love I, is, man. It, it it makes it the 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 must see Valentine's movie of 2012, I guess. I only saw this trailer because a friend posted it on another friend's Facebook wall, and I was like, "What's this?" And yeah, I kept waiting it for t- to turn into another Muppets trailer, and it just didn't happen. <laughs> oh, those have been so good. Yeah, yeah, I'm so sad by that. Okay, Ethan, what have you got for news? <laughs> The only thing I have is that uh, James Gray, who did uh, We Own the Night and Two Lovers in the Yards, a bunch of Mark Wahlberg movies, he's, uh, he's setting up his next film with Joaquin Phoenix, Marion Cotillard, and Jeremy Renner, so I'm excited to see that. She's, he, I've only seen Two Lovers, but he seems like a really underrated director, so right just some good movies. Very cool. All right, and then, uh, Billy, you had a couple things. Oh, uh, one that I forgot to warn you about. Uh, the trailer for the Doctor Who anime is out, and it's one guy has made this anime, and it's using John Pertwee, the, the, like the third Doctor, and it's using audio clips of John Pertwee from Doctor Who, and it's sort of a manga style, but it is Doctor Who, and it it's really interesting, and I want to see more of it, and the fact that one guy made it just kind of blows my mind. So you can find it out there if you just search for it, because I think that's really cool, and more people should be loving Doctor Who. So, so essentially, they, it's wow! So they just took audio clips of what he's previously said and, and fit it into an anime storyline. And yes, indeed. And 13 minutes of it are available right now for you to watch. Interesting. <laughs> he's got a it's a he's got a full blown out movie that it's going to be of it. So it's like okay, and the Cybermen look really cool. It's old school Cybermen, but they don't look cheesy at all. Okay, so it's not like the Iron Giant and the next Doctor. <laughs> no, no, not quite. Okay. Not quite. Um, we're all, of course, eagerly, and that's in quotation marks, awaiting the uh, the newest Transformers film. And if you saw the trailer, the, well, not the trailer, maybe it was the teaser, sk- you know, Skids and Mudflap were in that little teaser. Yes. Were they? Uh, they were, blink and you'll miss it, in one of the teasers, they were there. And so people were like, hey, I, I thought we all agreed that these were like very racist, horribly stupid things that were even worse than the giant robot testicles. This shouldn't be in there. And Michael Bay not only has sworn they're not going to be there, he's issued a challenge. If you can find Skids and Mudflap in Transformers 3, he will pay you $25,000. I, I, think, I think they're probably there just in human form. Ooh. <laughs> so Marlon I'm leaving Wayans that alone. <laughs> nice. Well, no, no, it wouldn't actually be Marlon Wayans. It'd be like uh, Dane Cook and Carlos Mencia in blackface. Ned Holness, outstanding. I think we're going to see Dougie Doug. Ooh, okay. He does need the work. He does need the work. And he was, he was great and justified. Really... He was great and justified. That's true. I have to give you that. I do have to give you that. Um, and sadly, we've lost Marshall Dillon. James Arness has passed away. 
Of course, for most geeks, you best know him as the seven-foot-tall carrot because he was the original Thing in The Thing from Another World. Uh, it's up on his website. They've announced his passing at age 88, and I feel bad because I really honestly didn't know he was still alive. Yeah. Yes, I it. had that happen with someone recently. Oh, there was like a big celebrity death, and I was like, he was still alive? When someone oh, yeah. fades from obscurity, fades into obscurity, it... it you feel bad when they do pass. So, you know, pretty soon you're going to get the uh, the Gunsmoke marathons and, like, all those uh, reunion Gunsmoke movies they did will be coming to DVD. So at least his family will be a little well off for his passing because that's how Hollywood works. Wow. There it is. That's that, that that's a really nice note to go out on a break on. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. So uh, let's take a break. We will be back, and we shall be talking about the X-Men films, for better or for worse. Thanks, Dave. Great show. At Jonja.net, that's J-O-N-J-A, we have everything to satisfy your sci-fi fan needs. If you look at this chart comparing... What do you mean there's no video? They're screen geeks. They don't have a screen? Well, how am I supposed to... I hired a Cylon to tell everyone about the discussions of sci-fi television and movies past and present. I guess I won't be needing you. You can leave. I recommend... Come on, I had Nichelle Nichols beam in to talk about our long list of exclusive interviews, including Zachary Quinto, Amanda Tapping, and the crew of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hailing frequencies are always open at jeanjay.net. Never mind, Miss Nichols. Thanks for coming in. I don't believe this. Oh, great. Now here comes my special guest to tell people about jeanjay.net's Flash Arcade. Forget it, man. They can't even see you. Oh, well. Maybe everyone will find their way over to Jonja.net to see and hear everything for themselves. Thanks for watch, listening. Now back to Screen Geeks. Hi, this is Ann Lockhart, and you're listening to Screen Geeks Radio. And we are back. This week has had an, an interesting event happen. We've had X-Men First Class come out, which I think it's fair to say after X-Men Last Stand and X-Men Origins Wolverine, we're all a little bit shocked to see Fox dare to bring X-Men back around ever again in the theaters. But I think it was a pretty good film, but before we get to that, I kind of wanted to talk about, since this is the fifth film in this series, it's worth going back and, and talking about all five films. Or no, I guess we, should, we have to third. talk about. We have to talk about all five films. How's that sound? Okay. Because in my mind, there's only three of them. But okay, we'll talk all five. Fine. I can understand that. Yes, yes. Um, this is a, a franchise that actually has, has had several misstarts, I want to say since the 80s. Uh, there, people have been trying to make an X-Men movie and, and make it come happen. And then in 2000, we had the first film come out. And, and I'm sure you remember this, Flynn. Um, I don't, Ethan, I forget. Are, are you very well versed in the X-Men like origins and comics and stuff? I was a big fan of the X the nineties cartoon growing up. So oh, there you go. Good that stuff. is a fine cartoon too. Especially when they did the whole Phoenix saga, that was pretty impressive. Um as opposed to what they did in X Men The Last Stand. But when they finally did get around to doing this, I think there was a lot of nervousness and when we saw those black leather costumes, I think we were all kinda of a little bit freaked out. Uh well I knew they weren't gonna do the costumes, you know, the real costumes, so I mean, I, I looked at the other stuff that was in it and and was like, oh, and besides, we got what we've wanted since Wizard cast this movie in the 90s. We got Patrick Stewart as Professor X, so that's really all I cared about. Very true. And then you had Ian McKellen come in as Magneto, who, and, and, and suddenly oh, this film sold it for me, too. 
yeah, the film started getting a really good pedigree, especially with Brian Singer doing it, who is you know still probably best known for doing the usual suspect at that point. Even though After Pupil was quite a fine film too. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) absolutely. So when this film came out, what were your expectations, both both of you? I'm just kind of curious. Well, I was hoping for a lot of uh, hot mutant-on-mutant action as a small boy, hoping it would live up to the cartoon, So, and I believe it lived up to that. Nice. Flynn? I, literally, I was hoping kind of the same thing. I just I didn't want it to be I didn't want it to be the live JLA pilot that C, <laughs> that CBS produced. I didn't want it to be this horrific, horrible because we had just a couple of months before that. When, when did Blade come out? Because I got to go see a midnight screening of Blade early, and and I was blown away. I was like, oh my god, that's the first good Marvel movie. Maybe this X Men thing is not going to suck. And then the trailers started coming out, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. So I just didn't want them to have another, you know, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Dolph Punisher. Uh, I believe Blade came out in the 25th year of Stephen Dorff's life. <laughs> 1998, <laughs> yes, yes. There it was, yeah, there it was. Because we had had the rumors about it, and I was, I was just hoping. And uh, I didn't want it to be the failed cartoon pilot they did in the 80s that had the Stanley narration that you can find online. With the Australian Wolverine. With the Australian Wolverine, yes. Nice. Who crossed over on one episode of uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, I do believe. Yeah, did you see that that pilot, Ethan? I think I have. It's, it's part of the X-Men where they bring in Shadowcat, and oh, it is so bad. And the guy who did the voice of Duke in the G.I. Joe cartoon is Cyclops, and I just couldn't get past that at all. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. It, it, it's fair to say there have been a few misfires with the X-Men franchise before it even got to the movie. Um, and you know, you had, there was also the upside that, that really made everyone happy of Rebecca Romaine Stamos at the time, uh, playing Mystique. And I think I kind of had the same thing. I was hoping it just wouldn't suck for the most part. Um, that, that, that was kind of the, the best thing I could hope for, which is kind of sad. Oh, and we just lost Ethan. No. And then we got Ethan back. Um, yeah, Rebecca Romaine Stamos was kind of like the, the upside, painted in blue, that made all the guys happy. But yeah, I was really hoping for something that just kind of... The, the biggest hope was that some we would get something that didn't take a giant dump over the history that was X-Men. And to his credit, I think Brian Singer really came up with a, a, a great storyline that did divert from the original film, but again, it still kept all the characters true to who they were and had everyone on the same side, on the side that they were supposed to be on. And I think it was a pretty entertaining movie, especially as an origin film. Yeah, a lot yeah, of times I, those get bogged down, but yeah, it moved at a good clip. It was pretty much Wolverine-centric, but the X-Men had been since, you know, 15 years prior. So, yeah, it was it was much stronger as a film than I thought it was going to be. There was an actual story there, which impressed me. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a pretty, it's just a generally decent movie. But the thing is about it, it's kind of budget, you know? Like, you can tell, like, I think the story about it is that they they wanted, like, a lot more money to do it, but they were really constrained, because they were, like, the studio was still a little hesitant about comic book movies, after uh, Batman and Robin and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, I remember reading this, that David Hayter, who was a writer on the film, he, he was saying how originally Beast was going to be in it, and they were going to have him... Uh, before you know the climax at the uh, the Statue of Liberty, he was going to break his leg so that they'd save money on having to do all the special effects for him fighting on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> wow! 
Okay. Wow. That, that's an interesting insight into the world of movie making and the compromises that have to be made. So we, we got a good movie outside of the, the, the infamous joke about what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning. Um, I think the thing, though, about that line that I know Joss Whedon, he's a, is he a credited writer on the film or is he not? I don't think he is. Well, I know because that's the only thing they kept from his draft he wrote. Yeah, and he's and a little horrified like, by deli- that. Delivered by Halle Berry, I think it just, because she, she's just not very good in the movie and she takes it too seriously and whatnot. It's not good, but it, like if you imagine like you know someone like uh, like a Sarah Michelle Gellar or Alison Hannigan or whatever, and it was Whedon's usual people delivering it, I think it'd be okay. Yeah, the, the delivery thing was about for that line. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go no, ahead. go ahead. Well, the thing about that line, I remember sitting in the theater, and when she goes, you know what happens when a toe gets struck by lightning, and and every, the level just went up, and we're all like, ooh, we all leaned forward, ooh, and then we're like, oh, really? That's what you had to say? Oh, okay. And okay. I, I think you got a point, Ethan. It's in the delivery. If it was done more jokey, I think the line would have gone over better as opposed to trying to be make that line be kind of like the, the I'm a bad mofo line. It just doesn't work in that context. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what else was I going to say? Um, it's kind of like, it's a very, even though it's a lot of characters, it's a kind of a short movie. It is. Like, it, it's like it, under, it's under two hours. Which is kind of nice. It, it it got in, it told its story, it did what it needed to, and then it moved on, which I, I really appreciated because since then we've had far too many movies that drag that that drag on just to drag on. Um, and what was very interesting was when they got to the second one in two thousand three, they really just picked up the story where the first one left off, and I really appreciated that. That they didn't feel the need to go back and rehash everything from the first movie for fifteen minutes. Actually, one last thing I wanted to say about the first one. I okay. think I think the thing that kind of signifies that it's this is you know this is going to be taking itself seriously is sort of the opening scene. You know, using the Holocaust. Yeah, pretty obvious uh, signal of what they're going for. Yeah, that was the moment where I knew we were in for something good because I was like, oh, okay, yeah. They're going to normally open everything. with the villains' little quick origin on one of these. So yeah. But yeah, and, and you're right, Ethan, that, that set the tone properly. You're like, okay, this is going to be a straight-ahead movie, and, and let's get to it. And, and, and it delivered. That, that's the nice thing, is that it, deli- it it had a huge setup, and it had a lot to live up to, even before our expectations could really enter the equation. And it, it delivered on every level, I thought. And I could have watched Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen just talking for an entire movie. They They had... You could feel the history and background between them, and all of their scenes just seemed to be sort of underplayed, and I think it worked so much better for that. You could just smell the the British uh, theater uh, pedigree off them, you know? You could just you could just smell the program for uh, Hamlet or <laughs> Fair enough, I suppose. Fair enough. Uh, the second one had a lot to live up to, and I think, once again, because they, they knew what they were doing, they're like, all right, we've already established ourselves in the first film, there's no need to write, rehash anything, let's just continue the story. I think that's really what, what helped this film start off on the right foot. Well, I Nightcrawler think, helped it start off on the right foot. That's one of the yes. best comic book openings ever. Yes. Yeah, I think I think this movie is like easily the most satisfying one in the series. Like to me, it has like it. It's this. It's insanely like insanely well structured. Yeah. Like it's always going. Everything leads to something else. The action doesn't feel shoehorned in. It's all org- organic. It hits the right character beats. It's got good humor. Good good performances. It looks nice. It it's paced well. It's yeah. It's like a great. It's a great summer movie. I think. 
Indeed. I, I really appreciate the fact that, yes, they did in, in, they introduced Nightcrawler, but they didn't overload on introducing characters, which is something that's very easy to do in a comic book movie because there's so much to do in the history of any comic series. They still kept the story front and center, and I think that was, again, another uh, another key. Like you said, Ethan, it's, it's, a pr- it's a brilliantly structured film. It's everything that you want out of a summer, summer blockbuster. And Mystique and, and Hugh Jackman have that great scene together. <laughs> You know, I was like, "Ooh, you went there." Yeah, you. Uh, okay, <laughs> that was a special scene. It was, but it was it was powerful. I mean, it's it's kind of silly to think about it. You know, if you describing it to someone, it's kind of silly. But you watch that, and uh, yeah, Hugh Jackman was she Rebecca Romaine Stamos still at that point? I don't remember, but I believe so. Rebecca. Okay, good for her. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good scene because. That's what the first two really were, and, and part of it, I guess, is because the first movie, they're trying to keep it within budget, is that it really is a character story that happens to have superheroes that have cool action sequences, as opposed to just balls to the wall, it's just two action sequences. And I think it's fair to but, say she was the better femme fatale in that than in the entire film of femme fatale, as far as I was concerned. See. Well, I think something we have to bring up about these movies is that, obviously, the X-Men comics, they were, you know, published in the 60s, they were about... Uh, the civil rights movement and whatnot, and these, the first two at least, being directed by an openly gay man, obviously that kind of, it brings that element to it, and I think these two films, they, they function as being more of a, and not an analogy necessarily, but they're, they're about, somewhat about being gay and whatnot, like the scene where uh, Bobby, was it Bobby? Yes, Bobby's parents. Is his name Bobby Frost? Bobby Drake. Bobby Drake. Uh, I thought his name was Bobby because he's Iceman. It was like Bobby Frost. That'd be kind of cheesy. Yes. But uh, anyway, where he's at, like at his parents, they're at his parents' house, right? And like the kind of the whole conversation they have is like totally like a coming out of the closet one. Oh, totally. When I was, have you ever tried not being a, mute, a mutant? I think at that when, when they got to that point, it almost most almost got a little bit too ham-handed, but they pulled away. They they they, they got away from that in a hurry too, though. I think yeah, I think with these they do a good job of like it's there, but it's not preachy. Like it's it is sort of shallow, but it's not like if they if they for a summer blockbuster, it's kind of deep enough. Mm-hmm. And then you had the whole the bringing of the character of Pyro, which once again was was well done. He he didn't overshadow the film, but he he played his part properly and and was integral to the entire film too. I think uh, um, Rogue in this, I, I quite like. I think Anna Paquin and Hugh Jackman have great chemistry. Yes, they really do. They really do. Yeah, they shine together. <laughs> there it is. Wow. Well, what? No, not in the Twilight way. God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when, they ruined when, vampires and the word shine. Damn it. Exactly. Exactly. But when when Logan takes off to go to the base or whatever, you know, it it really. It, it, Anna Paquin's reaction to that really comes through properly, and you can tell that yeah, their their chemistry was just outstanding. In that. You know, I, ex- I love. No, go ahead, Ethan. I love the scene where they're uh, driving Cyclops' car after they get away after the raid on the mansion, and in uh, sync is blasting in the car once they turn it on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like they take every pot shot at Cyclops they possibly can, and rightfully so, I think. Yeah. X2 I liked a lot also because I think it's the the best of all comic book movies of just giving you just a crazy shit ton of fanboy moments without them without leaving anybody else out. They were there if you if you knew them, but it wasn't one of those things where people had to go, "Wait, what is that supposed to be?" You know, there's just tons of stuff in there, but it it didn't stop the movie when they did it. 
Yeah, like you obviously had someone playing Jubilee in the thing, but if yep. you didn't know who that character was, it didn't, didn't matter. matter. Well, I'm a, I'm just a huge fan of the uh, kid who can change channels by blinking his eyes. There you go. I'd love to be able to do that, right? My Xbox what? is getting closer. Why though, Why isn't he on the team? Why aren't they sending him out to do stuff, save the world? Because his job is as the remote control. He could help, though. If he's a universal remote, he could like turn off like whatever vehicles that bad guys are trying to escape in. And he could or- turn the security systems back on that bad guys have turned off. Very true. <laughs> I'm sure the theory was, had the... Uh, Sears not taking a flying leap, but he, we might have seen more of him. Possibly. Oh, well. Yes, because unfortunately after this point, Brian Singer was presented with a very interesting choice. He, he, he wanted to do X-Men 3. I'm sure you guys have read the story where he actually wanted to do the Phoenix Saga as a two-movie arc. I, they set it up. I mean, I'm sitting there in the theater. I'm, I'm going, oh, my God, they're going to do Dark Phoenix. Oh, where's the next one? I was yes. going to say, that ending of X2 is so Wrath of Khan. <laughs> it totally is. You know, as long as we find a way to remember her, she'll never really be gone. Yes. Yeah? And then you have the the, the, the the minor Phoenix thing in the water and all that stuff, and that got everyone so, freaking out. So I guess X3 would have been Search for Spock, and X4 would have been them in 1980s San Francisco. Hunting for whales. Mutant whales, They got though. close. They got halfway there. Yes, there you go. Um, unfortunately, well, fortunately, well, no, I guess, you know, depending on how you think about Superman Returns, this could be a double unfortunate, because not only did we get X3, we got Superman Returns, but Singer was given an opportunity. You know, he's always wanted to make a Superman movie, and Warner Brothers was like, hey, you want to make one? And so he went to Fox and said, look, I have to make this movie. This is like my dream passion project. I want to do X-Men. Will you wait for me? And Fox said, F you, we're going to make an X-Men movie, and not only that, we're going to release it before you can make Superman. Which is always the proper rationale behind making a movie, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I love picking a date and then making the movie. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, and uh, I guess we should mention that the rat came on board. But uh, <laughs> what, what this shows is, well, Brian Singer, I would never consider him an auteur. Like, I don't think he really has a style to him, but he's still, he's sort of in that, like, Stephen Frears, Ron Howard category if he doesn't really have a style. But generally, all his films are very well made, and he knows how to make a movie. Yeah. Like he, he he knows how to pace, he knows how to shoot action, he's good at casting, whatnot. He doesn't have a style, but he still he makes good movies. It shows here because I think X three just feels so cheap. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it like the steel. No, I would call it the steel of the X Men movies. I think that's fair. Wow. Well, no, really? no, okay. no. You know what? It does get worse. You're right. You're right. But it's definitely not the best, and I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't think this, you know, no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually recant, recant. I am gonna blame part of X Men: The Last Stand on, on, on Ratner because you look at what they did with an equally short amount of time with X Men: First Class, and we got a good movie, which we'll get to eventually, obviously. But if you don't have the talented, the right talented people in the in the mix in the first place, you're gonna get X Men: The Last Stand. It had so many things going against it, and I and I here's where I need to blame Halle Berry for some of this, because she really pissed me off with the first X Men movie. I I heard her in an interview go, "Look, there are so few roles for black women in film. Look what I've been reduced to doing." And it why, starts. Why did why did Halle Berry become Prince? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she did kind of have the Prince haircut and uh, man, 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 swordfish. 
when am I going to get better roles? <laughs> well, you know, when you stop doing crap. And, and, you know, the second movie gave a little more for her to do, but in the third one, you know, they really stepped her up. And I can't completely blame it on her, but that, I thought... I can't. So I'm, I'm sure it was contract demands. I'm sure it was. You want me to come back? Yeah. I need more to do. But I just found that so hypocritical that she complained about it until it made money, and then she wanted to be more in it and be, you know, more of what the X-Men was. Uh, I, I guess this is the, the perfect storm of wrong. Because nothing went right with this movie. No. Well, the opening scene gives you some false hope. You get the danger room, you get a fastball special, you get a sentinel head. And you're like, okay. But that's that's the thing, though. It felt like it was so in our face. It was, here, fanboys, like me, like me, like me, like me. Actually, speaking of the opening, I think the thing was, it's a young angel where he's like trying to cut off his wings. Yes. Actually, that's that a pretty, was, that's a very that's well done scene, actually. Yeah, and it was powerful, too. Yeah. So there was and, a scene that was worthwhile in X Men: Last Stand. Okay, but did yeah, Brian I, Singer have that written down in some notes on a you know X Men Two script somewhere, and they went, "Ooh, let's use that." Maybe, maybe. but I, I will say, like, oh, I remember seeing this in the theater, and I was young, and I still I thought it was like okay, but I revisited it last year when I got the trilogy Blu-ray set, and yeah, it is so bad. <laughs> yeah, I only own the first two. Yeah, and I will of course own First Class when it comes out, but I only own the first two. I never need to see three again. I honestly think that Superman Returns is a much better film than X-Men 3. Yeah, like Superman 3, or <laughs> I called it Superman 3. Will uh, you give up your love and devotion for that already? Gosh! Uh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Superman Returns, like, I mean, it, it has problems, but it, it still, it feels so, like, pa- it, feel, it has passion to it. That's what I like about it. It does. Well, this is just like, yeah, let's just make the Memorial Day release date and whatever. And this brought up the problem you were just talking about. Hey, let's just introduce a bunch of characters just because we can. And I mean a bunch of characters. And poor and Ray Park is, didn't like, even get to come back. I, I was going to say, imagine, like, I can't imagine, like, watching this, like, as someone who has no familiarity with the X-Men comics. And, like, <laughs> I would, like, not understand what the, the whole Dark Phoenix thing is. Well, and that's because they didn't really tell the Dark Phoenix story at all. I think because I'm very familiar with Dark Phoenix, and I don't understand it after watching that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the, I mean, like, had... it, like it would be like, is she a zombie or what? Uh? <laughs> and there's so many, so many problems. I mean, you do have the complete waste of Ellen Page as well. Yes. Well, we can't. We have to talk about the best part, though: uh, the integrating of the internet meme into the oh. film. Vinny Jones, Vinny Vinny Jones. Doesn't he look like uh, who was the who was the guy that had three faces? The He-Man guy. Oh yeah, many faces. Many faces. Thank you. Wow, I couldn't pull that name out of my ass. Damn. Doesn't he kind of look like a stripped down version of that? Because it looks like the skeletal support structure of that costume. Like if you push the, the button on top of his his helmet, he changed to another face. I can see that. He should. It should flip and be Jason Statham. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. I'm actually quite a big fan of the I'm the Juggernaut Bitch video. It's it's pretty funny, but... The first one, yes. No, the, I think all of them are funny. Okay. <laughs> but put in the movie, it was just so shoehorned in. Yeah. Like, I remember, I remember like, seeing it opening day and being like, really? It's in there? <laughs> yeah, it... 
I got to have that little moment where my kids and I looked at each other in the theater and went, oh, hey, okay, that kind of made me feel a little better. That's the best thing I've seen in 20 minutes. Which really state, really gives you an idea of just how bad that movie is. You also have, yeah. well, okay, should we get into spoilers just because I think it's important to show just how bad this movie is? Yeah. Okay. Because really, you can't spoil this movie because it's already spoiled by the time the movie starts. Just in a different way. Um, the fact that every single life-changing thing that happens in this movie turns out to be BS by the end of it just <laughs> astounds me. The fact that Okay, I'm still not convinced that Scott's dead because there's no body. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the cure ends up com- being complete and utter BS. I think that was the biggest thing. Oh, because Magneto at the end, right? Well, Magneto starts getting his powers back, which means you know that Mystique's going to get her, her powers back and that Rogue's going to get her powers back. It's just everything that every life-changing, life-altering thing between that and Professor X dying all turns out to be bull by the end of the film which I, I if you're going to make huge life you know world changing th- events happen you have to stick by them and live by live by the consequences because that's what makes them interesting in the first place well, that say, you mentioned uh, Cyclops I feel bad for James Marsden in these movies because he's shown he's a pretty good actor and th- in these he's just so non-existent really yeah like in Superman Returns I was like where was this performance in the X-Men movies and they they just killed him off because he was busy filming Superman right I'm, basically it's oh you sided with Singer you're dead and yeah. uh, and the other side of it is that you know Marsden can't save he, he can't just can't win the girl ever no just something to bring up um this movie was so bad I well, I know it was a troubled production too, because I know Felipe Arusale, who's a great cinematographer, was the DP on it, and he like left production halfway through. Wow, just because of how bad it was. I imagine. Fair enough. Fair enough. And yet, I, I want. Hang on, I need to pull up the box office numbers. It di- still did pretty well. Well, that's because it, it was coasting off X two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, by this point, also for bad stuff that happened. It was Rebecca Romaine by this point, so poor her. You mean poor, poor, poor Uncle Jesse? Yeah, poor Uncle Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, I he, wanted her to be happy. It was such a fairy tale romance. Yeah, they but had. he lost her to Andy Dick. I'm well, just saying. Who can say no to Andy. See, I didn't go where you thought. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I, 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 I felt it coming, but I appreciate you holding off a little bit. So after this film came out, we all hoped. Oh, well, we got to say the one good thing about this movie, though. It ended. Ke- Kelsey Grammer is Beast. Okay, that's fair. I was, I was like, yes, there you go. That's something I want to see. That there was a history. I don't mind that you're saying that he was in a in a class before Cyclops and everybody. That's fine. And you know what? I, I believe you. I believe you as both sides of that. I would like to have seen him get to hang upside down and get more feral, but. I totally bought him as Beast, and I really enjoyed his performance. Because he brought the cerebral side of Beast. Especially, Ethan, you brought up the, the, the X-Men comic back in the day. I mean, the cartoon. I think this was definitely based off of the cartoon more than anything else, and it was very well done, I thought. Remember that, I don't know if you remember this episode, where it's like, earlier it's like he's, he's I think he's criticizing Jubilee for not eating enough vegetables, and then later Wolverine's carrying him, because he like passed out, and he's like, whoa, Hank, you really gotta cut down on the snacks. And I'm like... Hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. His metabolism burns things faster. That's why. Yes. That's, that's all. Yeah. There you yeah. go. But with that that version of Beast, if we're going to mention the cartoon ever so briefly, there was a point where Beast was 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 choosing. Now this is in a kids' cartoon in the '90s. Beast had made the decision that instead of getting busted out of prison for being a mutant, he was going to stay in prison because he needed to prove that that mutants can be just as human and and be the bigger man and are intelligent. Like it was had all like this almost like this Nelson Mandela feel about it. Well, that's what the cartoon did so well. It didn't shy away from some of these things in the slightest. Some of the uglier sides of all of it. I mean, they went for it. Their Dark Phoenix saga should be saw by everyone that has no clue, that watched X3. The whole series should just be required viewing for anybody that calls himself a comic book movie fan. True. Very true. So is there anything else we want to mention about X3 before before we get to it? That that ending. That ending, the the final that final little shot of Hello Moira. Oh. Just got me pissed. Uh, I guess I'll say that it's it's good that it contributed to the Vancouver economy. <laughs> okay. There so Kelsey Grammer and it, it brought jobs to Vancouver. Those are the upsides of what we got out of X-Men the last stand. Yeah, I know a lot of people who live in Vancouver from college, so, you know, it's maybe their dad worked or mom worked on it, so. Okay. Good for uh, yeah, was there anything else? Um, no, no. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, uh, some of the action actually isn't bad, but even then, it's not as it's not as kinetic, I think, as what Singer's, Singer did. No, when, when the fight between Iceman and Pyro is boring, you know you have a problem. Yeah. Oh, it made 122 million its opening weekend. But then for America only grossed 234 million, so it dropped off like a rock. Rightfully so. Um And so- the budget was 210 million, so not really a crazy, you know, profitable film. Well, no. like how I said it looks, it, it looks it looks so cheap. Yeah, I was just like I'm just wow. It's such yeah. an ugly looking movie. Uh, and that was, that was a horrible CGI toad they did too. Sorry, I keep going that. That's because that's another one of those things. Something kept happening where you're like, that looks really cheap and fake, and that was one of them. All the time, every time something you try to forget and let stuff go, and then oh, in case this movie is not badly written, badly acted, except for Kelsey Grammer, let me also point out the fact that this movie is really cheap. Here, look at this. Yeah, I yeah. imagine uh, maybe Brett Ratner just spent most of the money on hookers. I don't know. And blow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Shall we move on to the next film then? <laughs> if we sure. have to. Oh, because at some point, for some reason, why did why did we give Hugh Jackman a, a pass when it came to X Men Wolverine? Because he's got a great body. Uh see, I know some ladies that even said, "Okay, some of those muscles, that's like too much. You're starting now to get into the you know EU category with that, like the neck." thing when he pops up out of the water in that you know in the out of the tank i don't know there's right now there's some woman going no i don't think so but no seriously that was kind of bleh. billy if you were a woman you would like throw yourself all over him look it. you know i am very secure in my sexuality and i can tell you that yes there are guys that are cute and attractive and uh hugh jackman is not working on any part of my drunken college days in that point at that point <sighs> all right then um i <laughs> Wow. Okay, I think a lot of it's because he was considered, you know, a, a bankable star for some reason. Um, even you know, Kate because Leopold. Van Helsing did so well, and Kate and, Leopold. Uh, yeah, and uh, 
Uh, what other crappy things has he been in? <laughs> There's so much to choose from. Scoop, that was go, scoop. That was huge. Swordfish. I feel bad saying this because I really like the guy, and we're pointing out all his bad movies. Now he, hey, he, well, he's going to make it up with you know with the Rock'em Sock'em Robot movie. Oh, he yeah. he was in the Prestige shortly before this. I think that's, that's probably true. the Fountain. Yes. Oh my God, he's so good in the Fountain. He is. And and don't forget Happy Feet. No, Flushed Away. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Flushed Away. I was um, like, what? I don't remember him in Happy I, Feet. I, th- I think, honestly, the, the Prestige is probably what gave him the bankability again. And so he said, you know what? We're going to make Wolverine and we're going to make it right. And we were dumb enough to believe that that could possibly be the case. I think this will forever be... No- like This movie's legacy is that it'll just be known as the movie that leaked. <laughs> that was intentionally leaked. Oh my gosh! Yeah, didn't the work? I think the work print released like four months before it actually came out in theaters. Yeah, I watched the work print first, and then still was dumb enough to go to the theater and see it. I remember how they were like, um, "Oh no, it's like it's totally unfinished. There's like a half an hour more of footage." Uh, yeah, wasn't it Rothman who came movie. out and said that? Yeah, it's basically the same movie. Yeah, there's it, very little different. Very little is different in the two. Oh, okay. So 2009 brought us this epic piece of crap, which is such such a shame because again, talk about a good opening. It's a good opening. The credit sequence with little bl- glimpses through history. I'll even go so far as to say the first 20 minutes. Yes, is is a solid film. But I, once he splits up with his uh, little A team buddies, yeah, totally uh, off the rails. You know, I I can actually I would even go as far as to say the film is okay. Up until the point we see Cyclops. No, it, it had lost me by then. That just really was like, really? Really? Okay. I will say, I remember, that I think my best memory of this movie is when I saw it in the theater. And I remember his, uh, it, was, it was a girlfriend in the movie. When she shows up at the uh, up again at the end, a guy in the office, <gasps> I was like, <laughs> just like laughing. It's like, really? <laughs> he, was in, he was the one guy who was engrossed and enthralled by this film. Yeah, he, you know, and you know, to be fair, the acting chops of Will I Am were in full effect for this film. <laughs> they were. I mean, <laughs> that's about so as good as good. John Wraith as you could expect to have seen. <laughs> oh man, this movie was such an atrocity on every level. I was, you know, and and the, the film's biggest sin to me. I'm a big Deadpool fan. It's never been a secret. Is the fact that they got that character so right in the beginning of the film. And then pull. They, I've never seen someone have such a true representation of a character and the worst representation possible of the same character in the same movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's my my little quick review of this back when it happened was that you know what, going with my first twenty minutes being really good, I was like. You know, they were making this movie and some suit came in and went, wait, 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 you're making a good movie? Just hurry the hell up and finish it. It's going to make money no matter what. Well, that's the thing of this movie. Just it feels so cheap. Like it, I said about X three. And, and like I, I, I was, I, I took it back. This is the steal of the X Men films, because you have the there's CG in this film in spots where there doesn't need to be CG. You yeah. have the the part of the beginning where you got Deadpool running around doing his sword tricks with all the bullets, and it's such so blatantly a, there's CG swords and CG bullets and CG everything. And there are parts where, where Wolverine's claws are blatantly CG, and it's like, why? Uh, yeah, like, why? They, they perfected it like ten years before. <laughs> but we're going to go back. We need to go back. We need, we need to make it better. We need to do it CG, because it's going to look so much better. 
I'm surprised it still got made because you know after X2 they were talking about X-Men 3 and then how then they were going to spin off these origins with Wolverine and Magneto and then when we finally got to see after all this time what they you know oh this was it really oh okay all right shouldn't he remember some of this stuff since we just you know talked about it and like you know well, no when you the, uh, the magic movie? bullet though At, when, magic yeah, bullet. When you use, uh, amnesia bullets to be correct Dave that's right I'm sorry my bad <sighs> no it made I, I, what is it? Eighty-five million dollars opening weekend. Again, though, budget of one fifty, it grossed about hundred and eighty million. So, hundred. Really where did film. the money go? That's what I want to know. No idea. Well, those Civil War costumes apparently were actually used in the Civil War. Fair enough. Those I cost think a it lot was. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they had to feed Will I Am's entourage. <laughs> they actually had to pay the, the rest of the Black Eyed Peas not to be in the movie. Exactly. And, I, you know, I, all the lines of Ryan Reynolds that had to have been cut on the floor because they couldn't use them, you know, that that cost money to film those two. I, I, I will and uh, this was directed by Gavin Hood, who won an Academy Award for uh, Satsi. So it had, like, it had pedigree behind it, but it, again, it just, it looks so cheap. And you had such an, like, probably the worst possible version of Gambit you could ever put out on screen. Oh, you know, I had completely forgotten about Gambit. Yeah, Taylor Kitsch using the kind of almost Cajun accent that appears and disappears more often than it, it, it was a worse accent than I'll say it. Kevin Costner and Robin Hood. I guarantee. <sighs> Such a bad movie. Such now, a which movie. ending did you get? Post credit ending? Did you get extra? Scene? I didn't. I didn't fucking stay. <laughs> <laughs> I will allow I, that f bomb. That that was well placed, sir. Yes. I always stay for the credits, always. So yeah, I, I got the uh, and again got me like, really, you're gonna go there? I got the you know Wolverine in the Japanese bar, and I was like, oh my god, oh but wait a minute, you're gonna screw that up too, and just bring Frank Miller in, let him let him screw it up himself, because might as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw the version with with the severed head. Let's see, cool. No, <sighs> to be fair, they never actually called him Deadpool there. Then he was. You know, weapon X. Weapon, yeah, or 12 or whatever he was. Yeah. I, uh, oh, so bad. Okay. But it had the blob, huh? The blob was in there. <sighs> hey, kids, look. Yeah, let's see how many characters we can shoehorn in and make them suck. Can we move on to, to X-Men First Class pretty, pretty No, please? because we have to talk about how ridiculously pedophilia-looking this young CGI Charles Xavier was. That's oh, right, pedophile Xavier. How did I forget about Patrick Stewart looking like a boy-toucher at the end of, X of Wolverine? <laughs> I've seen better-looking effects in video games. Video games that came out that same year. That was, that was awful. He just looked so... Creepy, just creepy. It was a turtleneck. That's what did it. <laughs> Turtlenecks. You're either a, a villain in the prisoner or you're a boy toucher. It's just that simple. <laughs> wow, you went there, sir. Holy crap! I did. All right then. Wow. Okay. So this pretty much put the nail in the coffin for X Men, or so we thought. And then came word that we're getting a, a, a reboot of the series, essentially, or it was going to be new X-Men, or who knew what it was going to be. And it turned into, oh, we're going to retell the origin origin, like, go way back when, way back when. We're not going to do that Magneto movie. And we're going to put it on a shortened timeline, too. Which, I, I don't... It scared everyone again, because we're thinking, oh, look, it's going to be X-Men The Last Stand again. I, I uh, might be wrong here, but I think it was like a year ago this weekend they announced it was going to come out. <laughs> 
Wow. Which is incredible considering the final product. Yes, yes. So the, the, what this film really proved was that if you give a film a proper budget, if you have a good cast and crew behind it, because initially I, I have been dead set against this film since it was announced, especially since they announced the date before they even had a script finished. Well, then they brought in Brian Singer as the, as the producer. Well, it could be good, but a lot of times it's, we're going to pay this guy so we can have his name. And then we found out that he helped write the story. Was like, ooh. And then you ooh. have Matthew Vaughn come in, hot off the heels of Kick-Ass. And then you start getting James McAvoy, and then you, then you get Mac- Michael Fassbender. That's when I started turning on the film. That's when I was like, okay, this could be good. It went from I don't care to really to maybe I'll catch it on DVD to, okay, I'm going to have to go see it. Did you have a similar reaction, Ethan? Basically, when Fassbender was announced, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to see this movie. Fair enough. Yeah, it was, oh, it was just, and then we started seeing trailers, and then we saw that they are going to do the blue and yellow costumes from, like, the 60s, and we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Did you have the uh-oh I was reaction? A, I was a little concerned there. I was more than a little concerned there. <laughs> but we're like, okay, we're, we're, we're very talented. We've got talented people. Let's still hope for the best. And then they started releasing the character-based trailers, and I started buying into it. I'm like, okay, this is more than looking at anyone else. Okay, so Jennifer Lawrence didn't quite look right for 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 Mystique. We've got Fastbender, we've got McAvoy, and their interactions in the trailer started getting me sold on this movie. I I really bought them in the trailer. That that really that's the thing that definitely cemented it because I was like, yeah, the, I get that same feeling of Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. I I get that feeling that that is them younger, and not the CGI younger versions from X3. And then the movie came out. So let's talk about the movie. Now we can do what? a review of X-Men First Class. <laughs> um, I, I Wow! Yeah, I, I was hopeful. I didn't think it was going to be this good. Better than I thought. Easily better than I thought it, that it could be. Let alone would be, but could be. I, I well, need... oh, go ahead, let's just get out of the way. The best scene in the movie is when... Uh... Kevin Bacon says the word enslavement and then it cuts to a black cuts guy. Cuts to the black guy. Thank that, you. That is amazing. <laughs> Subtlety, thy name is... Oh, wait, no, that wasn't subtle. Never mind. It, I wonder to that. be really honest, I think this ball? movie... Uh-huh. I, sorry, what did you say, Billy? I just, you know, I just it couldn't have cut to them all, you know, and then had him have a, a look like, oh, that means a little more to me, considering my... No, you really had to focus directly on the black guy when you said that? Okay. <laughs> To be honest, I, I'm going to be honest, I think this movie would be pretty bad if it weren't for Michael Fassbender. Like, I think he single-handedly makes this movie good. Single-handedly. Like, there are so many, like, bad scenes in this movie. Like, the prologue is, oh, so brutal. And, like, um, and there's that scene, this is spoilers, but where, you know, where he's trying to get him, uh, Professor X is trying to get him to move the satellite, and he makes him think of his mom. That scene is so cheesy and brutal but Michael Fassbender because he is so incredible in this movie he actually like sells that and makes it emotional okay I can see that okay like throughout the movie like just like Michael Fassbender like I think in this movie he gives probably behind Heath Ledger the best performance ever given in a comic book movie I think he yeah he is this movie to me I can roll with that and and as it came out I think didn't they say that they uh, took elements from the Magneto script for this film I'm sure they did I, mean, I, I well, think if the entire movie, opens. <laughs> well, I think if the entire movie were uh, Magneto Nazi Hunter, I would have like it would have been like a four out of four movie for me. 
that would have been pretty stinking cool. I did enjoy that. I did enjoy him hunting people down. I was like, ooh, not since Hannibal Lecter have I cheered for a villain. He is easily the heart of the film, I think. Yeah, and like there's there's so many like musician biopic moments or like scenes in this movie, like when uh, like oh, when Mystique gives them the names, or okay, like, uh, yeah. or when. Uh, when at the end, when like uh, he uh, press act is like, next thing you know, I'll be bald. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh. which was the second of the hair jokes. Can we shave your head for this? Don't touch my hair. <laughs> yes. To be fair, okay, I I will still stand by this. If you look at a picture of James McAvoy as Professor X, you picture him bald. He looks exactly like any of the Chris Claremont Professor X drawings. Yeah, I can I can give you that. He's really close to that. Put a couple of age lines on it, but yeah, I can give you that. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll say there's a a, a cameo in this movie. <laughs> I thought the cameo I mean, was hilarious. Do you think I did? I don't know if you thought this too, but did you think that cameo, that like five seconds, was truer to that character than any anything else in the other movies? Yes, I think that's very fair. Because we got our f bomb. Yes, and it was the most used. Like if you're going to use an f bomb once in five movies, that was the scene to use it in. Yeah. I also did like uh, the other quick little cameo we got. I in Cerebro? Well Where? Are you Where? talking about the one in Cerebro? Or, or which one were you talking no, about? Uh, you mean Rebecca Romaine? Rebecca Romaine got to come back for a moment. Yes. That was, was, they, uh, that was a nice Jennifer, Lo- Jennifer Lawrence, I thought she was good in the movie, but after seeing this, like comparing her to like Winter's Bone and whatnot. Can Winter's you just, Bone. <laughs> can you like totally like see her now and just being like in a bunch of like bad romantic comedies? Yes. I could, but the fact that she's going to be in Hunger Games next, I, I've seen the production shots and stuff, I'm, I can't wait for this to come out now. Yeah. Um, I, I know that she, she doesn't have the same like face type or anything, so she looked a little bit bigger than Rebecca Romaine, but I think still think she, she looked fine in the makeup, and I think she pulled off... She brought a lot of heart to that character that we hadn't seen previously. Well, I, I think her, her, um, her turn at the end makes a little more sense than... Uh, what, what's the other character... Who like Angel? joins? Angel. Yeah, all oh, that like that came out of nowhere. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that one guy said something. I I like it better when guys talk to me that way when I have my clothes off. That's fine, but when I've got them on, bleh. yeah. That, all right. Uh, th- that, so guys are jerks and government agent guys are jerks. Come on, honey. Come on. Yeah, I think it's. I think there are a few changes to the film that they made. You know, making um, Banshee and Moira McTaggart not be Scottish. Making Angel Angel not Warren Worthington, but I think overall, I, th- I the the film very much it, it diverted pretty drastically from the original series from the, from the from the comics and and the canon, but I still think everyone got where they needed to be by the end of the film, and I really liked that. It felt oh, more thing. an organic change than you know obvious change. Yes. Another thing in the movie that I thought was just so like cheesy and on the nose was when. Um, uh, be, you know, when they first first meet Beast, and by the way, I thought Nicholas Holt is Beast. I thought he was great. Yes, but uh, when uh, it's like, oh, they find out he's uh, Oliver Platt finds out he's a mutant. He's like, well, you know, you didn't ask, so I didn't tell. I was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. When it, you were talking about the gay imagery stuff before, that, that's the first thing I thought of was that line. Yeah, um, we should mention Kevin Bacon because I don't think I've seen him have this much fun in a movie in a long time. Him, I thought both him and January Jones were brutal. See, I thought really? he was he was fine, but January Jones was pretty bad. Yes, I think like her on. I'm starting to think that like 
she's so good on like in, on Mad Men by like by accident. I think they write to her strengths, yes. which is not a lot. I really think that that looking at Mad Men now, th- this film has colored my my view of her performances for certain. Um, yeah. Oh man, I you know who Emma Frost is supposed to be? Like her character should have stolen every scene she was in in this movie, and she's all she was really capable of was being glorified arm candy and eye candy, and that was really about it. You got no sense of her actually being dangerous in any way, shape, or form, I don't well, think. Well, it's, it's like she, she looks sexy, but her performance isn't sexy. That's the way I'd describe it. That's, that's fair. And, and also, to be, to be a little fair to her, Emma Frost, that, that we all know now, at the beginning when she's first introduced, is not that character. I still don't think January Jones is, is a good... She's definitely the weak link in this film. But I don't think we should bag on her for not playing the Emma Frost that we know. But by the time we get to the Emma Frost we know, they should definitely hire somebody else. I don't know. Well, I think at, the end, could, oh, at the end, it's like, oh, she's going to be back. And I'm like, really? I think it was, well, we, we've got her character hanging out there. We've got to do something with her. That's how I felt that ending bit was. Yeah. And can we say kudos for having the, uh, the original 60s helmet then? Because yes. it had the stupid little goofy thing on the front, the hood ornament. Yes. I was gonna say is like his costume too looked very. It was like it wasn't even like really a suit, a leather suit. I think it was like fabric. Mm-hmm. Thought that was cool. Do you he think was having a go s- figure? That's awesome. Yeah. Do you think having it set in the sixties helped the film? Oh, for sure. Like it, it just. It's not not like that. It's really that in depth, but at least gives it somewhat of a different atmosphere than a typical comic book movie. Mm-hmm. The whole Cold War element, I liked. And I think they Which, set it up so that even if they weren't to make another movie, they've set this film up to work in the continuity of the other films. The first two. Yes. Because the second two okay, don't, don't exist. Well, to be honest, I, I really like... Like, I think that Michael Fassbender as Magneto is the most compelling character in this entire series, and I want to see more of him. Like, I really don't want another Wolverine. I don't care. I want another Fassbender Magneto. Yeah, okay. Once Aronofsky walked off the deal with Wolverine I've had no more that was the only thing that had me hopeful again and once he left I was like okay I don't care anymore so do you here here, here comes the question um I, I agree with you Ethan I think I think almost he should be man do you think he could he should be considered for some some awards I think so well the thing is he'll like he has the Cronenberg movie coming out this year and he has the uh film he's doing again with Steve McQueen so he'll probably he'll probably be just as good if not better in those True. So it's like he'll he'll be rewarded for those, really. True, but here's the question: Do you guys want to see another X Men movie after this one? I'm kind of okay if they they leave it at this. You know, again, I want to see more Fastbenders, Magneto. Mm-hmm. I, I do kind of want to see you know him get like the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants movie going with with them because I kind of do. Maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment, and you know, because Fox will take they won't learn anything from this. They'll go look. Oh my God, it still is marketable. Let's rape it some more. I wouldn't mind, you know. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to see the evolution. I want to see the the danger room be the old version with all the mechanical swinging saw blades and stuff. I'd like to see more of that because I really had fun with this. The Rocky, even Rocky, had a montage moment, and this was really cool. And I'd kind of like to spend some more time with them. Again, though, provided we could get Fastbender back, because yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my concern is that yes, I think this was a good film. I need to see it a couple more times before I say whether I like it better than X Men Two or not. Um, but. I get the feeling, the distinct feeling that we really dodged a bullet on this one, and and I don't think I, I don't want to press our luck. That's really where where my gut is. 
Yeah, that's fair. That's if they if they didn't have one, I wouldn't be heartbroken because this is good enough to where I'm like, okay, I'll own this in the first two movies. But I, as long as you don't bring Brett Ratner back, if you keep the the gang, the crew, and everybody, maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll be excited for another one. Well, it yeah. feels like they've been kind of just coasting off the second one for a while now, and it's kind of like, well, finally they have a good one now again. It's like it's okay to keep going on again. True. Besides, I want to see a nice '70s version so we can get Dazzler. Who doesn't want Dazzler? <laughs> Who doesn't want the Dazzler? Okay. Wow. I think that's a good spot to end right there. Who doesn't want Dazzler? <laughs> well, there are two. there's quick notes of people in the background because I noticed these things. Ray Wise, the great Ray Wise, yes. was the Secretary of State for like 30 seconds. In, yeah. the, like, in the Doctor Strangelove War Room. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, really? Does he have more scenes somewhere? Because there, there's a, quite a few scenes in this movie that seem like they end a little early. Um, where Charles is talking to Mystique uh, when she decides, look, I'm going to be me and naked again as as Mystique, and she leaves the room. I thought that scene had like maybe another minute and a half to go because I don't think it was finished. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it's pretty funny how like rude McAvoy is in that scene. So it's like he's like turning like whoa, ah, yeah, <laughs> you're my sister and you're naked, ah, kind of. Yes, that's what it felt and like. my. Other goofy thing, uh, Michael Ironsides gets to be another tough-as-nails yes. you know, military guy, but in the credits, he's listed as M. M. Ironsides. Yes. Uh, okay. It's like, I don't know M- what that's about. Like M. Butterfly? <laughs> yes. And we left one thing out of talking about Wolverine that I have to ask the both of you. Do you think that we'll get another movie if they do another movie? Will someone explain to me how Liev Schreiber turned into Tyler Bain? Because we didn't mention Liev Schreiber at all. <laughs> we did not. We did not. Wow. I'm sure he's happy that we didn't, but... Yeah. Okay. Well, I- I'm very curious to see what everyone else thinks about X-Men. I hope other people like it. I know, Ethan, you, th- you think it was pretty cheesy outside of Fastbender, but Fastbender, I, th- I think... He def- if nothing else, even if I you know go- don't go quite as far as you do, he's definitely the-, the-, the core and the center and the heart of this film. And rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So... Let us know what you think. Shoot us emails, fun stuff like that. Um, let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this week and DVDs and all that fun stuff. Um, this week, I know everyone's going to go see Judy Moody and the Not Bummer Summer. That's going to be the most anticipated film of the year. God, of I love that. It's been on my calendar all year long. Yeah, because who wants to go see that movie, that that Super Eight movie, really? Psh, Which Spielberg seventy movies? Come on. I have no idea what movie we were getting still, and I kind of like it. I've heard that we're getting uh, Spielberg's. Uh, I've heard what is it? What did they say? Uh, we're getting the Goonies meaty tea, is what I heard. <laughs> and and parts of the thing thrown in. Sure. That okay? Do. I curious. don't care. I just want to see it. It looks it looks different than all the other stuff that is coming out. Yes. And it doesn't look like it's a throwback just to be a throwback. I think it's weird that it's a '70s movie and the X Men here is a '60s movie. So old style looking movies that's kind of why x-men's you know first class seems a little cheesy because it's got that 60s vibe but i think that works you know as an attribute for the film yeah but yeah it's weird yeah i'm I'm eagerly looking forward to it jj i loved cloverfield so yeah bring it on indeed and then coming to dvd you know i was going through the the, the amazon list and i started going this is crap this is this is a really bad week for movies because the first three movies on my list are battle los angeles then red riding hood I mean, it's not getting any better here, kids. And then um, Hall Pass. 
Oh, that maybe why I you know I'll I'll take one for the team and watch Hall Pass. I'll you're, say you're that not, right here. Well, if you want to really want to take one for the team, you could do Big Mama's like father like son. No, mm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going. There. Good man. Good man. But then as yeah. things start picking up. We've got Donnie Yen in Legend of the Fist: The Return of Chen Zhen, which is apparently based off a Chinese TV show. Uh, another action movie with Donnie Yen, who's pretty freaking cool. Uh, they we, reviewed that on Film Junk recently. Did they? Did they like it? Well, Reed liked it. Oh. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> oh, Reed Farrington. Uh, then we've got Jackass 3.5 coming out, which thing, okay, depending on how you look at those movies, it could be a step up or not. Uh, we've got Supernatural Season 2 finally coming to Blu-ray. We've got Norm MacDonald's new special, Me Doing Stand-Up, which I've heard interesting things about. And I think Norm MacDonald's funny, so I would probably check it out. Well, here comes He's an the- underrated SNL guy. True. Very true. Well, he, he, was, under, he was understated in his delivery. But Rubber's coming out next week. That's the one that really has me intrigued. Thank you. I've been longing to see this. Yes. And instead of having a crap title of the week, I saw this and I decided I had to have a winner of the week. Because I... This isn't Battle of the Network Stars. It is. It's Battle of the Network Stars, but with bowling. It's called Uh. Celebrity Bowling. And here's the description. The biggest names in television film, including William Shatner, Leslie Nielsen, Roy Rogers, and Adrian Barbeau, appear in, on this made-for-TV series pitting celebrities against each other, bowling for prizes in hopes of not embarrassing themselves. That's not actually a bad uh, lineup of people they got. I'm gonna. I, this is. I'm gonna throw this in my Netflix queue. I'm curious when, to see. This. When was this made? Is this like something old, something new? This is the first time I've heard anything about it. But Roy Rogers was still around, so it it had to be like in the 70s. Because Battle of the Network Stars, yeah, you know that one because all of the ladies got to be in swimsuits and I was too young to realize why I thought that was fascinating. But I don't remember anybody bowling. Yeah, I no. remember seeing Gil Gerard's family compete with um, Dick Van Patten's family doing charades in some stupid special in the 70s. So, bowling, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting one. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to see if I can get this on Netflix. If I can, I will report back on it. Because how do you not watch Celebrity Bowling? Um, <laughs> There's not enough bowling stuff. Comedy Central had a bowling series that I can't think of the name of now, but yeah. All right, then. Wow. Okay, so if you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. You can email us at podcast, Dave, Barry, Ethan, all at screengeeks.com. Mr. Flynn, where can we find your work in the world? Well, that that would be Billy Flynn at geekradiodaily.com. And I... Oh, there see, it is. And you had a bill, and, and I didn't well, say it because that there because there were there were technical difficulties that are invisible to the audience, where I thought <laughs> I lost the entire show and almost cried. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you did sound very very distressed and heartbroken. <laughs> I, well, this is a good episode, I think. So, yes. yeah, in spite of me, yes, indeed, yes, <laughs> yes. Geekradiodaily.com. The uh, weekly show is coming up. Are you guys actually going to do the topic you were talking about doing still? Uh, I think so, yeah. I wasn't going to. We wouldn't have done it if it was not that you needed somebody for this show. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll be doing our own X-Men show in a couple of days from now. That's okay. It's going to be another take on it, which is, you know, you guys do a great show, so it's all well, good. Well, that's why I had, a, I had a good dry run, and I could take all the cool things you guys said and pretend that it was me that came up with it so I look even better. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we're here for, really. So um, thank you so much for pinch hitting for us for, for while Barry's out. Hey, man, I love being a pincher. There. Wow. Um, I, you know what? I'm. That, that's okay. I don't know what we're doing next week because my brain hurts. This is Dave. This is Ethan. This was me. I'm a naughty boy. Naughty, 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 naughty.